stand for the reading of God's word. We're still in the early verses of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. We have been through the Beatitudes. Now we're in the second week of looking at the section called Salt and Light. I'm going to focus on light this morning and next week, both salt and light. But let's hear these words again from Jesus. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I want to encourage you to grab the Blue Pew Bible in front of you. If you did not bring your own, I really want to encourage you, bring your own Bible, because we're going to continually be moving through various verses that support where we are in the sermon. Last Sunday, I preached on the salt. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to perhaps listen to that, study that. Today, I'm going to focus on verse 14. You are the light of the world. I'm going to really focus on those few words. And then next Sunday, we'll kind of bring salt and light together in a bit of a climax there. What I first want to say in verse 14 is that once again, Jesus is saying something very shocking. He is saying with an indicative statement, not an imperative, be light. He's saying, you are, you are the light of the world. Now, I want to beg you to hear this. I think we forget. I think we forget that God, the living God, has called us his children, the light of the world. The people who heard this sermon originally were not the most educated. They were the unimportant. Most were the ones in society that they would want pushed away. And Jesus, God himself is saying to that crowd of disciples that gathered around, you are the light of the world. Now we know that he himself, Christ, is the light of the world. It's him in us that is the light that radiates out. But I don't think we're shocked by that. And I, in fact, I think the longer we walk with Christ, we may become less shocked by it, almost as if, well, of course he would have picked me. I'm pretty good compared to the rest of the people around me. That's not a good sign. We should always be so surprised, so shocked, that by his grace and for his glory, he would choose us to be the ones that he was going to use, is using, to rescue his people. It's shocking. That's why the hymn, And Can It Be, has such a great refrain. It's shocking. Forty years ago, this coming Thursday, is when I prayed for salvation. Forty years it should shock me really more today than it did back then. 
because I, so, I know so much more of sin and darkness. I understand it so much more. But this verse begins with you are. You are the light of the world. What a privilege. We actually, for this dark world, decaying world, we in Christ are the only ones who have hope that we can offer to others that will last for eternity. We're the only ones. Why us? Why you? Why you? Why me? We can't answer that except it was God's glory. But we so quickly want to run to the application that sometimes we miss the ultimate message of grace, that it's you, it's me, it's the people of Christ. You are the light of the world. They would have been so surprised to hear it. We need to be surprised too. And so how do you become surprised? You rehearse the gospel every day. You rehearse that you don't deserve Christ every day. You rehearse the fact that you are a sinner saved by grace every day. And then that do, which we just heard sung about, the mercies of that do begin to overwhelm us again that yes, why me? All by your grace, all for your glory. So I don't want you to miss that. You are the light of the world and it's working. Christ told us the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Thousands of years after the original audience heard these words, people are still hearing these words and they are going to hear these words until Christ returns. Until Christ returns. This, his living word, is gonna go out. And the ordinary means by which it goes out is going to be you and me, who he calls the light of the world. You're on the winning team in the ultimate sense, because you can't say it about any other part of your life where there will be no ultimate defeat. You are his, and he calls you, if you're his, the light of the world. So let's unpack this for a few minutes. In order for the imagery of light to make sense, we would have to understand that there is a need for light. When he says, you are the light of the world, Jesus is declaring that the world needs light. And the world needs light because of sin and brokenness going all the way back to the very few, first few chapters of Genesis. So what I wanna do this morning is I wanna talk about what light does. First, how light exposes darkness. But not just the deeds of darkness, also the cause of darkness. Light exposes the deeds of darkness, but also the cause of darkness. And then I wanna end with how light also is what leads us out of darkness. Every commentary I've read on the Sermon on the Mount, and I've probably read 11, every one of them, and they're written at different times in different generations, will describe their time in history as one of the worst. And they're probably right from their perspective. Because of sin, the world has seen some really dark days. What must it have looked like as Noah was hammering together his ark? What must the city of Sodom and Gomorrah look like 
We know we're in a dark season, a dark time. The light exposes deeds of darkness. And what that means is things that want to remain in the dark, deeds that people commit in the dark, they want them to remain there. They don't want them to be exposed, but light exposes deeds of darkness. Almost 20 years ago, this summer, we were interviewing to come to PCPC. During that process, it wasn't long before I discovered that a dear friend had been living a life that nobody knew he'd been living. His wife was driving with him from St. Louis to Kansas City. And as they're traveling on the interstate, there is a sign on the side of the road, a big billboard that simply says, pornography destroys. They've been married 30 plus years. And out of nowhere, with no suspicion, the woman seeing the billboard says to her husband, do you ever struggle with pornography? For years, not known to anybody, he had been in a battle of hiding this sin in incredible ways. He was a leader. He was respected. All of a sudden, he couldn't hide. That was the moment when God used a burden he had placed on someone else's heart to spend money putting up a sign like that. A sovereign God would know that on this, this, this interstate, moving from east to west, St. Louis to Kansas City, this woman would say, do you ever struggle? And he had to pull the car over and he had to confess. The confession was brought on because light exposes deeds of darkness. But it does more than that. It doesn't just expose the things that we want to keep hidden from others for fear of what they would think. It exposes the reason that the darkness exists in the first place. That's what's so powerful about God's word, about Christianity. It doesn't just talk about the surface of, of what we're doing. It helps us understand why, why that kind of thing can happen. And it can happen to any of us, and sin happens to all of us. So sin, darkness, light reveals the deeds of darkness, but it also reveals the cause of the darkness, why it's there. And this is why I want you to have a Bible that is open. Turn with me to John's gospel. Go to the famous passage of John 3.16. Listen to what comes after it. I'm gonna begin at verse 16 of John 3, but listen to what follows. It's really powerful. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Praise God, if you believe that, that's shocking. Should be shocking to us if we believe that. It's God's grace. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. Today, if you're here and you've not yet trusted Jesus, this may be the moment that he's brought you here to reveal light to you. This might be your billboard moment as you're traveling. This might be the day, like it was for me 40 years ago, this Thursday. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. 
The light has come into the world. Who's the light? Say his name. Jesus. The light has come into the world. His name is Jesus. But listen to what comes next. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The cause of all sin is in nature that we're all born with that doesn't just like darkness, we love it. For everyone, verse 20, who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now go to Ephesians chapter two. It's a few pages over in Paul's letters. In Ephesians two, Paul makes it very clear that this isn't just some people who have this nature that's prone to darkness and evil, it's all of us. So I want you to hear this. And if you've heard it before, one of the reasons we need to hear it again is so that we can be shocked once again by God's grace. Paul writes, and you were dead, speaking to all he's writing to, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, this is important. The word dead doesn't mean sick. Doesn't mean immoral. It means spiritually you did not have a heart that could beat for God. You were spiritually dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. Okay, the course of the world, it's dark. It's decaying. Following the prince of the power of the air, speaking of our enemy, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Not some of us. Not just those people who dabble in really dark things and evil things. All of us. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And here comes the shocking element of grace. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's who we were. The light exposes the deeds of darkness, but it also exposes the cause of darkness, the nature of darkness, of which we all have been part of. In this side of heaven, even in Christ, we continue to struggle with the battle. It happens. That's what was going on with this man and this woman. It happens to all of us. By God's grace, through the powerful work of the Spirit, the illumination continues to come. The things that we want to keep hidden, the Spirit exposes. He doesn't just expose the deed, but the, the reason behind the deed, the cause behind the sin. And here's why that matters. We always, even when we sin, are doing in that moment what makes sense to us. If it's to gossip, there's a reason you're doing it. It makes sense to you. 
If it's to lust, there's a reason you're doing it. It makes sense to you. If it's to be proud, if it's to have whatever it is, it's what makes sense to you in that moment. And until we have Christ, what makes sense to us is darkness and the love of darkness. We know as a country, you heard it in Tommy's prayer, and as citizens of the global world, there's a lot of division. There is a lot of darkness. We await a ruling from the Supreme Court that which we imagine what's gonna happen. Remember this, when people who passionately disagree with you on things, whether it's in your family, in the church, at work, on your street, the person cutting your hair, the thinking that they have is what makes sense to them. If their eyes have not yet been opened to the light, Christ who is the light, you and I cannot expect them to see with lenses that see things right, good, and beautiful. And people, because of darkness and decay, can embrace and promote and support things that are so evil, so dark, and so destructive. Jesus knew that. That's why he came. The Father knew that. That's why he sent the Son. That's why John 3.16 had to exist. That's why Paul had to write Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, well, who is us? Not the moral superior people. It was the dead people. Paul writes in Romans 5, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let's, let's take Paul's life for a minute as it relates to light and darkness. Turn in your Bible to Galatians. It's just to the left, chapter one. Listen to what Paul says about himself. Galatians 1, verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. So in the early days of the church, if they were having a prayer service, they were praying against a man named Saul. They could not have imagined that the man that they were praying against would one day be used by the light of the world to write 13 books of the Bible. Couldn't have imagined it. Couldn't have made it up. Couldn't have believed it. So how violent was his persecution against the church? Well, let's, let's listen to why he was persecuting the church first. You see, the darkness is exposed by the light, not just about the deed, but also the cause. Verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. It made sense to him that this man Jesus, 
And the followers that he recruited, those who preached to on the side of that mountain, must be destroyed because they are coming against what makes sense to me. What I've been taught is true, what I believe to be holy and right. So now that's Paul's description looking back. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight, just past all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. There's a title, probably in most of your Bibles, that says Saul ravages the church. So verse one of Acts eight says this, and Saul approved of his execution. So if you're reading the Bible and you wanna understand the context, you need to know who is the one who was executed. Well, if you turn the page over, you see it's Stephen, the stoning of Stephen, a follower of Christ. It says Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That was his mission. It's dark. He was seeking to destroy the people who called themselves Christians, followers of Christ, disciples of Christ. It was dark, but it made sense to him. This is what he believed he was put on earth to do. And that self-righteousness, that zeal of moving towards destroying the church was very real. So real that moms, you would have, you would have been protecting your children as news would have come that Saul and his soldiers are moving through the city. The church survived Saul. Chapter nine, verse one. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damas- at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, know that that's, notice it's capitalized, because that's Christianity, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, now who is the voice? It's the light of the world. He's being blinded by the radiance. The voice says, it's Jesus, the light of the world. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate or drank. This is the God, the same God, the same spirit that illuminated my heart and mind 40 years ago. If you're in Christ, illuminated your heart at some time. Maybe it's today. 
The same God who enabled you to have a heart that would be for God, eyes to see his truth, ears to believe his truth, is the same God. He revealed himself. Light reveals darkness and the deeds of darkness. It also reveals the cause of darkness, the nature of darkness. And our nature, all of us, was sin. But light also leads out of darkness. And this is what's so exciting because it's the way God does it. He showed you what he's capable of doing. He could have saved anyone else this way. He could have just continued to speak to Paul and tell Paul what to do, but he didn't do that. He wanted to use his people, his ordinary people, to let the light shine through them and flow through them. So this is how this story goes. Just a little bit further. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Before he, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, this is not the first time Ananias has heard of Saul of Tarsus. So Ananias speaks, and so would you. Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Two things. There's no way Ananias could have ever seen this coming. And Ananias had a choice. He could have been like Jonah and rejected being the light that God was calling him to be, or he could surrender to the Lord who was about to save a man who most at that time would have said is the greatest enemy of the way, the people of Christ. Verse 16, the father continues to speak, for I will show him much, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him. Now think about that. Laying his hands on the man who murdered, who put in prison, women and men who belong to the way. He lays his hands on him in obedience to Christ. And he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that fills you, believer, and me, praise God. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, 
and taking food, he was strengthened. Next section, Saul proclaims Jesus in the synagogues. Why? Because light exposes the deeds of darkness and light exposes the cause of darkness and light leads us out of darkness. It has the power to save a man like Paul, the power to rescue a man like the one I described pulling over on the side of the road to Kansas City, people like us. And one of the ways that God delights in doing it is through the body of Christ being salt and being light. Next Sunday, we're gonna look at why and how and where, but know this much. Like Ananias, God has given us an opportunity to obey, to pursue those who are lost, to let his light shine through us, or to not. Why would we ever hide the light? Because in those moments, you must admit it. It's what makes sense to you. And that says something about how desperate we are to rehearse the gospel every day. You know Paul did. Not just then, but throughout his life. We are the light of the world. Let's let his light shine everywhere he's called us to be. After I pray, we're gonna sing two songs. You'll be led in the first one and then we'll turn a couple pages over in the bulletin and sing, O Church, Arise. I trust this will be encouraging to your soul. Let's pray. Father in heaven, for all who are in Christ today, we just humbly wanna say thank you. Thank you, Father, Abba, for sending us your son. Jesus, thank you for preaching the word. Thank you that we can have the word preached to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you who did the work in Saul's life are doing the work in ours. And thank you for the privilege of us, your people, in confidence, holding out Christ to others as he shines radiantly from our lives. God, thank you for your mercy. Fill us with the joy today and every day, wherever you call us, to lift high the person, the Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.